0: Pushkin. Hey, it's Noah. I want to tell you about a podcast from New York Magazine. It's called Pivot, and it's hosted by New York Magazine editor-at-large, Kara Swisher, and NYU business professor, Scott Galloway. Every Tuesday and Friday, Kara and Scott break down the major news stories of the week and take a sharp look at how they're changing the way we communicate, vote, shop, and live. You can expect razor-sharp insights, bold predictions, and a declaration of the week's big winners and losers. Cara and Scott banter and bicker at the speed of your Twitter feed, and the show is as funny as it is informative. So subscribe to Pivot with Cara Swisher and Scott Galloway for free in your favorite podcast app to get new episodes automatically from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. From Pushkin Industries, this is Deep Background, the show where we explore the stories behind the stories in the news. I'm Noah Feldman.
1: Tonight, we renew our resolve that America will never be a socialist country.
0: That's President Donald Trump to a huge round of applause at the State of the Union Address. And that got me thinking. In a world where Bernie Sanders calls himself a democratic socialist, and so does Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and so do a whole raft of young and active new progressives. What is socialism? What's a socialist? doesn't matter. Is there any really good reason that we can't have socialism in the United States? Or is it truly the case that we can never have a socialist country? And maybe above all, how close is today's brand of socialism to the real thing? To discuss socialism and what it means today, we have with us probably the person best positioned to talk about that in the entire United States. And that's Professor Sean Willance of Princeton, who's thought incredibly deeply and written extremely broadly about the history of labor, of unionism, of politics, and of the terms that talk about those things in the United States from the very dawn of the American Republic right up until the present. Sean, I'm thrilled that you're able to join us. Thank you for coming.
1: Well, thank you, Noah, for that lovely introduction.
0: So let me start with the question that is frankly plaguing me in the aftermath of Donald Trump's proclamation and the new democratic socialists and their rise, and that is, at the most basic level, what is socialism?
1: <laughs> well, in America, there have been a lot of different answers to that question, actually, because there have been different strains of socialism, very importantly. For the first thing to do is to talk about what is socialism, mm-hmm. what is it not? It is not communism. Let's just get that from the very start. Um, you know, It's not just a no- narcissism of just noticeable differences, that socialists and communists despise each other. Mm-hmm very different views on how you go about building a socialist you, um, you know, future, completely at odds with each other. So let's just take away all of the Stalinists and all of the Trotskists and all of them, they're off to the side.
0: Was that true right from the start? I mean, if you had Karl Marx in the chair here-
1: Oh, Karl he... Marx is, is, is dead by the time all of this is happening, or pretty much so. No, no. The history of American socialism begins in around the 1880s, 1890s, there's a, there's a prehistory to that. Um, the first great socialist figure is Eugene Debs and Eugene Debs founds a tradition that goes through the Socialist Party. The Socialist Party runs basically from Debs to Norman Thomas in the 30s, finally to Michael Harrington. So Um, the
0: first takeaway then, if I I, just to try to sum it up would be, that when we talk about socialism in America we're talking about American socialism correct which is its own thing and that may be very important for our conversation absolutely. going forward
1: absolutely then there's another tradition which is more of an immigrant tradition I mean Debs was from the Midwest mm-hmm. and Norman Thomas went to Princeton after all mm-hmm. um, uh, Michael's different we can get to Michael in a sec but that was a tradition that was very all-American that's all-American socialism so
0: what's the definition of all-American socialism for the socialist
1: it comes out of um, basically old American uh, political traditions, very Christian, Mm -hmm. and in this Michael shared it because he was Catholic, was Mm -hmm. a Catholic rather than Protestant, Yeah, but um, um, it has that kind of social gospel aspect to it. It's not exactly the same, but it comes out of that. The other stream is very different. The other stream is immigrant, um, much more Jewish, Mm -hmm. Um, it's the New York trade unions, people like David Dubinsky, Sidney Hillman, Mm -hmm. Um, they are a very important part. Of the uh, the socialist tradition, and if you're talking about the connections between socialism and the Democratic Party, they're absolutely crucial.
0: So, le- before we get into them, let's go back to the mainstream American socialism of yeah. Debs and of Norman Thomas. Yes, how did they think of socialism definitionally?
1: Well, basically, it meant it meant that there would be a social revolution in which the working class um, would take power, in effect, and um, now. What that means is complicated, but nevertheless, and, and own the mean, and socialize the means of production.
0: So the, let's clarify that too. Socialize the means of production means the government, such as it would be. Would own anything that was a money-making enterprise?
1: Basically, I mean there would be different sectors: agriculture, industry, etc. Finance, importantly, but yes, that it would be uh, uh, that socialism means uh, a society that is run by society that is run by the the the, the class of society um, that is the universal class according to Marx, which is to say the proletariat. Well, so
0: the workers own the means of production. Yeah, that exactly. is their that is their That's core it. definition. It's all
1: about without the, the means of production. The thing that Donald Trump
0: is terrified by. Correct.
1: I mean, without the means of production, socialism in, in that form doesn't mean anything. So that is that.
0: Now, how um, democratic was this version of socialism? Did they think very. that it should come to power by people voting for it or yes. were they open to uh, the other kind of revolution?
1: Well, there were other kinds of, you know, there were socialists and socialists. But you know, Debs, Debs is running for president, does the socialist party. He's getting, getting votes. I mean, he's going out and campaigning. It's democratic socialism from the beginning. You're and not, he did pretty well it. a
0: couple of times, didn't he? Well, he
1: did well once in 1912, he got 6% of the vote, the mm-hmm. highest, but it's a lot, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: So, these are socialists who believe that the people will rise up, but they won't do it violently. Correct. They will run for office. Correct. And they will democratically pass laws Correct. that take over ownership of the businesses of America and agriculture and
1: so forth. Uh, it's very, very simply, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but, th- but coming off of that, there are lots of other ways in which um, socialism developed. Um, that is to say, there's a, there's a branch of socialism called sewer socialism. This was very big in the Midwest in places like Milwaukee, mm-hmm. German socialists, for the most part, associated with Debs, but distinct. And they got very interested in municipal. It was about all about cities and municipal um, services, um trying to socialize, um you know, socialism in one city, if you will,
0: so literally, the sewers of the city, should be owned by the city rather than a private exactly, company?
1: Exactly, exactly. You take it out of the pri- hands of the private exploiters and you put it in the hands of a, you know, a just government and you'll get things done better.
0: And that seems to have worked pretty well. I mean, depending <laughs> on what you think of your sewers, in most, in <laughs> yeah. most of America today, isn't it the case that oh, municipalities, they uh, may not run the sewers on a daily basis, but they own them, don't they?
1: For better or worse, yeah. So, so, so sewer
0: so, socialism kind of worked.
1: Well, I mean, no, I mean, I pay my, I don't pay the city for my electric bill. I don't pay the city for a lot of utilities. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of things that are not the case. But the MTA, for better or worse, is a, is is run by the government, uh, run by elected officials, um, with a public-private aspect to it. It's never completely outside of it. But that comes in part out of the socialist tradition. Yes, um, um, you can see that very clearly. So, why did
0: sewer socialism do as well as it did do when other forms of socialism ran into problems?
1: Well, because, I mean, look, at the local level, you can organize, and in the Midwest, Midwestern cities, it was very powerful, it has a political base. I mean, you can get somewhere at that local level. It's much harder to do that at the state level, at the national level. So, these municipalities, they would elect people to Congress. Victor Berger was a socialist in Congress for a while you see this um, repeatedly. In fact, you see it today, in fact. What do you see with Ocasio-Cortez, for example, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez, you know, she has a following in a particular district. They can uh, elect her to Congress. That's locally based socialism can get pretty far politically.
0: So let's talk about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Bernie Sanders and the new Democratic socialists. And let's focus on a specific thing. And I want to ask you if it's a kind of sewer socialism. And that is the policy they're pushing of medicare for all right many of the democratic candidates uh, in the primary are either opting for that or saying that they think it's a good idea in principle mm-hmm. it's clearly being pushed from that direction mm-hmm. and president trump says medicare for all sounds like socialized medicine to socialize sounds like socialized medicine to me that is a form of socialism and presumably the democrats who aren't self-identified as democratic socialists would say come on there's nothing socialist about that at all it's just an opportunity for health care to be paid for. So let me sort of ask you the point blank question. Is socializing medicine sort of like socializing the sewers? Is it socialism?
1: No. Why not? Well, look, the idea of universal care has been at the center of the Democratic Party since Harry Truman, since 1946, 47. So this has been a traditional idea that you know healthcare is indeed a right, not a privilege, and the government ought to be able to provide or help provide healthcare to everybody. That's not a particularly socialist position. Um, there are many ways to get there, however, and that's where I think the Democrats will divide. I and mean, Medicare for all is a single payer system, as you know, mm-hmm. um, which is very distinct from the kind of system we have now. It gets rid of the private insurance companies. Right. Um, that's one version of how you get there, but there are other versions as well. Um, It's not so much that we have a socialist versus non-socialist version of this. There are different versions of a democratic, what what has been a Democratic Party position forever. There are different versions of how to get there.
0: So I'm now trying to channel Donald Trump running for office against this policy. And let's imagine a Donald Trump, if it's possible to imagine such a person who's taken your course and has learned about sewer socialism. And says, well, yeah, there are different kinds of programs. Some involve the private sector. But some say the government should take it over completely. Correct. Medicare for all, it's a single payer system. It really implies perhaps that the government should take over healthcare completely, as opposed to universal health care of the Obamacare type, right. where the government repays private insurers. Right. And he says, I think I get an A on the test. The president likes <laughs> to get A's on tests, or likes to believe he's gotten A's on tests, because I call this genuinely a social Socialism. system.
1: Well, it's, I mean, you know, he get a, a C from the course. I mm-hmm. mean, it's not it's it's, it's not completely wrong mm-hmm. in all of that, but the image that's given of of of, of, of a government run healthcare system is maybe closer to the NHS what the NHS could be in Britain.
0: The National Health System the, in Britain. The National yeah.
1: Health System in Britain. Um, um and and people's fears that the government's going to tell you, you know, who your doctor's going to have to be and when you can get a, a, a the so-called death panels that Sarah Palin was talking about mm-hmm. you know all of these things out there that have nothing to do with the system per se so the image of it being socialist is not actually the reality the reality however does in part come out of yeah i mean socialism is a part of what has been american liberalism for a very long time i mean socialist characters. And I was mentioning before people like Sidney Hillman mm-hmm. and um, Dubinsky to a certain extent, but Hillman above all, had a lot to do with the New Deal. Tell the listeners a
0: little bit about Hillman. Well,
1: Hillman's the, the head of the Amalgamated Clothing Workers Union in, in, in the United States. And um, he actually started off with a little closer to the communists, but then he very, very, very much um, you know denounces them and gets rid of the communists in, in, in the labor movement as best he can. But he is very tight with Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. Um, Franklin Roosevelt. Fr- I'm sorry, he's very tight with Franklin Roosevelt, and um, you know he uh, has a lot to do with putting together, and not just Roosevelt, but all of the New Deal people. So people like Senator Robert Wagner in New York, mm-hmm. people like Francis Perkins, Secretary of Labor. He's very close to all these people, mm-hmm. and Hillman had a great deal to do with getting the um, you know the Wagner Act, the 1935, the landmark act of collective bargaining in in American history. Um, Hillman had a lot to do with shaping that. Um, the Fair labor, labor Standards Act from 1938. Again, Hillman had a lot to do with all of that.
0: So then, in that view, the core accomplishments of FDR's New Deal owed something to conversation and interaction with leading labor unions, labor unionists like Hillman, who were avowedly socialist, and that was normal at the time. Mm-hmm. So th- that leads me to the following question about FDR himself and about the New Deal broadly. Mm-hmm. Critics of the New Deal at the time, you've pointed this out, called it socialism. Yes. FDR said, politely, hell no. (laughs) So what was FDR's response to the charge that he was a socialist?
1: No, he said he was a liberal. He said he was a Christian, a Democrat, and a liberal. I think in that order. That and what did liberal
0: said. mean in the Roosevelt era? It
1: meant coming out of the progressive era from the earlier part of FDR's life from his, when his cousin was president, mm-hmm. it meant seeing the federal government as having a very, very large role to play in, in improving social welfare, um, taking the constitution's you know preamble very seriously, that the, but in a very positive way.
0: So borrowing a phrase from Bill Clinton, could we say that liberalism meant capitalism, mend it, don't end it.
1: Yeah, you could put it that way, yes. I mean, it does not believe in the socialization of the means of production, that's Mm -hmm. for sure. It understands that capitalism has been the greatest wealth-generating system that the world has ever known. It takes all of that into account, but the point is capitalism has to be protected from the capitalists. And if And Left to their own devices, the capitalists will ra- uh, rain down, rack and ruin, not just on the working people of America, but on the entire system as we saw, for example, in 1929, 1932.
0: So then the New Deal's version of liberalism says, let's redistribute some wealth so mm-hmm. that the poorest people have a safety net, mm-hmm. and let's put some restrictions on what owners and employers can do in the context of blocking labor unions, that gives you the national labor relations laws. And then last but not least, let's have a securities and exchange commission and laws that regulate the financial markets Mm -hmm. so that they don't uh, play dirty in in the process of... But at the same time, all of these things are meant to shore up. To prop up capitalism, yes. so that it doesn't collapse in the wake of the Great Depression. It's
1: one of the reasons why Norman Thomas, the great you know socialist leader of the nineteen thirties, when asked if FDR had carried out the socialist program, he said, "Yeah, he carried it out. He carried it out on a stretcher." Because he took all of those ideas and you know took them away from the socialist essentials, means of production, all of that, and saved capitalism with uh, some ideas of socialism.
0: So, in that sense, you could imagine the view that liberalism is. Almost the enemy of socialism, because it takes the best ideas that socialists have, it implements them, and then it has the effect of preserving capitalism rather than allowing people to become so miserable and unhappy that they say capitalism is fundamentally broken, we want to take over the government, we want to do things differently, and we want to have socialism.
1: You could look at it that way if you were a sectarian socialist. Yeah. but people like Hillman and others, and above all, maybe the greatest labor leader of the 20th century, you know, was Walter Reuther mm-hmm. um, in Detroit. I mean, what they saw is, look. We're not going to have a revolution, but if we can get enough of our stuff through, who cares whether it's socialist, or liberal, what have you, we're making life better for ordinary people. We're, making, we're expanding the social welfare. That's what we're here to do. What they saw their role as being is not an antagonism to the liberals, not trying to overthrow the liberals, not saying the liberals are all running dog imperialists, et cetera. No. They said, we can see a role for ourselves in trying to push and pull from within.
0: So that brings us to the current Democratic socialists, mm-hmm. and the first question I have about them is: Are they really socialists?
1: Well, it depends. I mean, when I hear you know Senator Sanders, for example, um, talk about defined socialism as he did at some point during the campaign mm-hmm. at Georgetown, in fact, he says he's an FDR liberal. Right. So, I don't know. If that's socialism, then uh, socialism has changed. I mean, even- So why are they
0: calling calling themselves socialists? I've been doing a little informal poll of 20-somethings I know, Yeah. and I have a hypothesis. Well, I'd like to hear it because I have no idea. I wonder what your students think about this too. So my my very informal, unscientific poll was that people said, of course, that the democratic socialists do not favor nationalizing the means of production in the country. They don't want the businesses to be taken over by the government. Right. But they're sick and tired of the term liberal. Right. They're sick and tired of the term progressive. Right. They think, and you've written this, that Hillary Clinton right. took the term progressive and you know muddied it essentially right. by right. being not left enough. Right. And the word socialism sounds cool.
1: Yeah, I got it. Sounds it.
0: like I want to change things. Yeah. I want to do things differently, and that's a big part of Bernie Sanders' appeal, according to this theory. And then when you take away Bernie Sanders and you put in Ocasio- Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, now it's younger, yes. it's hipper, it's yes. more with it. So yes. what do you think about that hypothesis? Well, I think
1: that's right. I mean, I think that 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 liberalism had a crisis in the 1960s, 1970s. Democratic Party had a crisis as well coming out of Vietnam and all the rest of it. And um, the Reagan revolution put the Democratic liberals on the defensive and they had to figure out a political strategy for themselves. And the Democrats had done themselves no good either by changing their party around into a kind of conjuries of special interests. They took away the party bosses. They ceased to be a party in the traditional sense. So coming out of all of that, yeah, the Democrats had to bob and weave and triangulate, if you will, in order to just survive. Now coming out of that, the Clintons were trying, I think, to give the, the Democratic Party a, a, a substance again, you know, seeing them as very much as liberals pushing forward, trying to expand you know, social welfare, all the rest of it, the kinds of things with some socialism sort of in there, people don't realize all of that, but it was the people they were talking to- Well, I to think were...
0: conservative Republicans <laughs> realized well, it yeah, they right. said they realized well, it. Well, you
1: see, but they always do that. They'll call anything socialism because they know it's a scare tactic. That's mm-hmm. all a scare word. But you know- Maybe but, it
0: was a scare word. It's interesting. We'll, we'll come back to that, but whether it's- But
1: he had attacked politically. It was about politics. That's mm-hmm. what people don't understand about what the Clintons were about and where, where things were going now. Things changed after that. Um, Things changed dramatically, particularly after two thousand eight, two thousand nine, after the economic collapse, which I think has a lot to do with the students, young people you're talking about. So, people who grew up in the, who have no memory of Ronald Reagan, Mm -hmm. who have no memory of what politics used to be like, what Reagan did to politics, and then who came of age in the aftermath of two thousand eight, two thousand nine, are going to have a very different view of all of these words and what they mean than the likes of me. Who grew up in the 1960s?
0: So let's talk about words then. Yes. You've written uh, in Democracy Journal very powerfully, I would say, that we should call things what they really are. Yes. And that the Democrats made a big mistake when they stopped calling themselves liberal yes. and started calling themselves progressives. Yes. And it's really the Clinton era where that yes. happened. Yes. Why? What was wrong with that?
1: Well, liberal had been demonized successfully by the by the right wing Republicans. You remember in 1988 when George. H.W. Bush was running for president. He talked about the L word, he made mm-hmm. it sound you know, like manure, he made it sound like something you know, so execrable that it was really excrement.
0: That was before the TV show, The L Word made it sound somewhat better, but go well, on. Well, that's yeah. another story,
1: but, yeah. you know, but this is way back in 1988, ancient yep. history. Um, but the word liberal was demonized, nobody wanted to be known as a liberal, mm-hmm. right? And so the Democrats cho- happened on the word progressive mm-hmm. as a substitute for all of that. Now, progressive had been a left-wing word that mm-hmm. was very, very anti-liberal. If Mm -hmm. you will. That was where the left kind of gravitated to after the communists had been, you know, uh, disgraced and so forth in the aftermath of McCarthy, in the aftermath of '56, Mm -hmm. uh, all of that. Um, um, So, but the Democrats took this all left wing word and made it into a kind of euphemism for liberal.
0: They repurposed it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Now, you know, that's okay. But what happened was that when, uh, by the time you got to the, say, the 2016 election, Mm Here was Hillary Clinton who had this background of having to you know having to fight through the nineties and having to go through all of those Mm -hmm. politics, but who understood that times had changed. So she comes up with a very liberal, that is to say, leftish liberal Mm -hmm. platform. If you read her platform it's it's much to the left of where she was in two thousand and eight,
0: for sure. But she was presumably pushed there very hard by Bernie Sanders in the primaries. No, I,
1: I disagree. It was huh. that was true before the primaries ever mm-hmm. began. Mm-hmm. He then began to push her, not so much with anything dramatically different, but, you know, if she came out for a twelve dollars minimum wage, he would come out for a fifteen dollars minimum yep. wage. He would rail against the billionaire class. That's not mm-hmm. her politics, right. He brought up all of this old, you know, stuff. and she looked, she had no way to, to, to argue against it.
0: And she ran, calling herself a progressive. She,
1: he's going to out-progressive her any day.
0: And so you think the mistake was... Where well, was the, the mistake? Excuse
1: me. He's going to do that rhetorically. Mm-hmm. You know, whether, whether he's going to be able to, to deliver on it's another mm-hmm. matter. So the mistake I think is that, look, the the idea of liberalism, which was when I was growing up was a very powerful one, it meant mm-hmm. something, it meant, meant Walter Ruther, it mm-hmm. meant people like that, got denatured, got lost. Um, it's a word which I think is an honorable one. It's an honorable tradition. Now, would I like to go back to the word using the word liberal, no, hmm. um, because I don't think that it's going to, um, you know, on its own, it's going to matter. But I do think that people calling themselves liberal progressives, for mm-hmm. example, as opposed to the socialist progressives mm-hmm. who want to hold on to that word, there could be a fruitful, you know, uh, exchange about all of that. Although, Although something
0: at- tells me that Kamala Harris is not going to say the difference between me and Bernie Sanders is that he's a socialist and I'm a liberal. No. She's going to say something not. else. She's, Maybe she's going to say she's a progressive. She's going to say she's a progressive. Liberal, I'm sure. Liberal doesn't seem quite ripe yet okay, to but be I re- think brought back to life. That may
1: be true and I'm not a political you know, um, um, pundit or neither am I a, a uh, an operative so I don't really know these things. I'm sure it polls terribly <laughs> so it's not a great idea. But let's not talk about start what we're saying in public or on the stump. Let's think about our own thoughts about all mm-hmm. of this, how we conceive all of this. Mm-hmm. And I think there is a difference between people who understand what the liberal tradition, its richness, what it was about. Don't trash it as just, you know, neo-liberal corporate blah blah. No, that's not what it is. That was the way that people referred to Hillary Clinton. She is not that. She's not Margaret Thatcher. To try and, and, and re-own that, mm-hmm. but to do so in a spirit that, you know... These things don't have to be in conflict.
0: So if that's the case, then how do you feel about the democratic socialists doing their own bit of repurposing, right? If we're right that they don't believe in the old version of socialism, even the classic Debs version of socialism, then they're using socialists simply to say, well, we're to the left of people who call themselves progressive. What do you make of that? Do you think it's good? Do you think it's harmless? Do you think it's desirable?
1: I think it's vague, vaguely demagogic. I mean, I don't think it means a whole lot. Um, you know, I mean,
0: why is it demagogic? To me, just to be provocative, what seems demagogic is Donald Trump saying, "Well, we will never be a socialist country." I mean, they may be walking one... into the demagogue, but, but no, it doesn't seem like they're being demagogic. No,
1: there's there's more than one way to be demagogic. You know that. Look, in so let's take a case of another person on the left of the Democratic Party, Elizabeth Warren, mm-hmm. right? Elizabeth Warren says that she's capitalist t- to her marrow or something, but she's also talking about the kinds of things that Walter Ruther was talking about. If anybody comes close-
0: Namely, to the, reverend, intre- namely the interest of, putting, of the middle class. No,
1: putting workers on boards of, 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 of corporations, I mean, this mm-hmm. is a very Rutherian socialist idea. Now, she's not calling herself a socialist. But, you know, the proof of the pudding, it's in the the program, it's what she's talking about. She's thinking more imaginatively, I think, than any of the other candidates along the kinds of lines that I think of as New Deal liberalism.
0: So if that's the case, then I don't know if you would agree with this, but maybe the takeaway should be that... The terms don't matter that much.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably right. Then I it's, mean, uh, it's
0: all the policies, and it's all very well and good to try to figure out where they come from, and we could try to figure out this one comes from here, and this one comes from there, and sure, the sewers I, are a little bit socialist, and putting members of companies on boards is a little bit socialist, but in the end, they're not genuine socialism. So, you know, if someone says, "Who cares about this terminology? Why are you guys even talking about it?" What would you tell them?
1: I would say that you have to be careful, though, because it can very easily get weaponized. And so let's talk it, about weaponization. Well, that's what I think. What happened in 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 two thousand sixteen. I mean, you know, Bernie Sanders, who is not a Democrat, who comes out of a, you know, the left wing of of, of Vermont politics that he helped invent, mm-hmm. right? Um, Attacked Hillary Clinton as a goon of Wall Street, mm-hmm. attacked her in sectarian terms, mm-hmm. which damaged her terribly going into the election. Many of the things that he said about her, Trump said about her.
0: Yes, no making question. Making her out
1: to be a slave of Wall Street. That's weaponizing socialism. Mm-hmm. That's turning socialism into a weapon. That's trying to destroy. That's that other idea. It's actually. But so, from in. the
0: perspective of a Clintonite liberal, and yeah. I think that's a perfectly fine perspective to hold. Right. Um, you can see how that's weaponizing. Yes. In a bad way. Yes. But from the perspective of a critic of Clintonite liberalism, it would be weaponizing in a good sense, right? I mean, in that only sense, if you
1: want to destroy liberalism. But if the point if the point of socialism is to destroy liberalism, then I think we're going down a very dangerous road. A very
0: dangerous because road. socialism might succeed in destroying liberalism. No, well, because why?
1: because socialism is not going to just uh, supplant liberalism as the alternative to the Donald Trump.
0: So then, the danger, so I understand correctly, is sort of what happened in your interpretation between Sanders and Clinton mm-hmm. by criticizing Hillary Clinton from the left, by weaponizing socialism, as you put it. Sanders weakened Clinton, yes, helping Trump to win. Correct, that's the, the account. And on that view the democratic socialists can do that again they can defeat whoever is the democratic candidate in 2020 by weakening that person sure, and sure. then that can actually play into trump's hands
1: uh, exactly now look uh, criticizing from the left is perfectly legitimate i don't have any problems with people saying that hillary clinton is not was not you know she should have pointed to her program more. Actually, I think then she would have shown people that she was not the neoliberal gob- hobgoblin that she was being made out to be. That was a tactical mistake, indeed a strategic mistake on her part. But that's put that to the side. Mm-hmm. Criticism from the left is healthy; it's great. We want that. When you weaponize it, however, you're tr- you're being destructive.
0: So, how do we draw the line? We're entering a presidential season. We've yes. got umpteen number of. Presidential candidates who've already declared. Right. None thus far is running to the right of where Hillary Clinton ran the last time
1: around. I guess that's right. Yeah. yeah. I mean yes. maybe
0: there will be someone who emerges that way. Right. right. Mike Bloomberg has said he's not running. Right. right. And that's partly, I think, because he's a rational person. Yes. <laughs> and he could only have run to the right of where Hillary Clinton was, right. and he doesn't see a path right. to the presidency through Correct. that. Correct. So let's talk in practical terms. Yes. What would it mean for Bernie Sanders, for the other democratic socialists to criticize legitimately from the left, in your view, uh-huh. and what would it mean for them to dangerously weaponize in very practical terms? What's, what's kosher according to Wilentz and what's not kosher? Yeah.
1: I mean, you, you, it's like pornography. I know it when I see it, you know it when you see it, when you're calling someone um, um, a name a Wall Street uh, goon or whatever, whatever the, the the language was, that's a polemic. That's that's an attack, that's destructive. If you say, my my my, my, adversary, my opponent and I disagree, I would like to see this happen rather than that happen for this reason. But
0: I think that's there gonna be fine. a lot of But I think there are gonna be a lot of listeners, or I hope there are a lot of listeners, who instinctively respond to that by saying, But wait a minute, Hillary Clinton was cheek by jowl in close relationship with plenty of liberals, to be fair, on Wall Street. There really were lots of Goldman Sachs partners making donations to her because it's perfectly reasonable. And if
1: you could have a, 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 a reasonable conversation about that, I believe that she could actually convince many of the people who opposed her for why that's not a terrible thing. But you could not have that conversation. She couldn't have that conversation. It was terribly embarrassing. It was terribly difficult given the political setting, which in fact, in part, the left helped set up
0: why can't the radical vision just win i mean we have had moments in american history where radical visions of conservatism have come very close to winning definitively you think about the the reagan era where there were some significant pushbacks why and maybe you could argue, well, no, the well, Reagan era was actually more pragmatist than yeah, I, mean, than I what think.
1: Did, what did he do? He didn't get rid of, of Social Security. He mm-hmm. didn't get rid of all of the New Deal. I mean, okay. Ronald Reagan was an interesting character, but he was a pragmatist on the on the right, you know, par excellence. I mean, look at what we've got today now. Okay, You to take you Donald see the, Trump. Ra- you want to see the radicals taking over? Okay, There's good. the Republican Party. It's become a movement, not a party.
0: Okay, so good. So you have a radical movement that claims to have a chance of taking over. And after all, Republicans do control the Senate and they control the presidency. And as you say, Republican conservatism is, is a movement, not just a, a political party. And many of its leading figures are not pragmatists. So just to push the question, why can't the same thing happen on the left?
1: You have to recognize, first of all, that all America is not Brooklyn. All America is not Cambridge. All America is not Berkeley. That's number one. I mean, my daughter, I love her. She's great. She lives in Brooklyn. You know, you'd think you're in the People's Republic of of Brooklyn. Now, it's great, but it's not the rest of the world. That's number 1. So, whereas I think a person on the right could you, you would have a lot more to go on in terms of what America is like. America is a much more conservative country.
0: Thank you very much, Sean. Great to be Thank here.
1: You. Very good.
0: Sewer socialism. That's a phrase I admit I had never heard before Sean Wilentz described it to us. And it's really remarkable to me because it seems to capture in the most fundamental way something about socialism that has never come up in the course of our big debate about whether America could ever be a socialist country and whether the democratic socialists are onto something brand new. It's the idea that socialism has always in fact been with us here in the United States. Every time we make a choice about whether something should be done by the government or whether that thing should be done by the private sector. So maybe it is socialist to say that we should have Medicare for all, but so what? Maybe that's just as socialist as saying that the sewers should be run by the government instead of by a private for-profit company. Going deep into the history of socialism in America and into the question of the terms that we use taught me to realize that there's more to our tradition than meets the eye. Deep Background is brought to you by Pushkin Industries. Our producer is Lydia Jean Cott with engineering by Jason Gambrell and Jason Rostkowski. Our showrunner is Sophie McKibben. Our theme music is composed by Luis Guerra. Special thanks to the Pushkin Brass, Malcolm Gladwell, Jacob Weisberg, and Mia Lobel. I'm Noah Feldman. You can follow me on Twitter at Noah R. Feldman. This is Deep Background.